Welcome to Fine-Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation news and commentary. I'm Drew's co-host, entertainment writer Jim Hill, and he and I are recording this show on Friday, November 26, 2021. Which I know, given what Jim Shule tweeted out just this week, that you recently went to our, our Southern Californian office, Bob's Big Boy in Toluca Lake. So, yes. so what'd you have? Yes. I had the big boy regular, the regular big boy, as did Jim, okay. and we, you know, we caught up, we talked, you know, we talked about your your exciting new project, which, you know, we can't talk about yet, yeah. but um, he's got a lot of great stories, and what I love about Jim mm-hmm. is you and I always try to get the, the real dirt mm-hmm. out of people, yeah. but Jim is very straightforward in saying, I was not there, mm-hmm. I cannot speculate, I this is what I saw, this is what I heard. There you go. So it, it's, you know, it's lovely, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, we if you haven't looked at Jim's Twitter, I was amazed because I was like, where did you, did you pull those out of the arc? He's like, no, I took all, every photo I put on Twitter, I took myself. Crazy. He says he crazy. has like, what, 50,000 or something? Easily. So. Yeah. Did they advertise anything special for Thanksgiving? Do you see anything on the menu on your way in or your way out? Or? No, but I do. I do. I think I've had their meatloaf before. Maybe that's Patty's. I get my Riverside uh, Drive haunts confused sometimes. <laughs> but they had a spicy chicken sandwich. Oh, that was new. But you know, I, I had to do. I had to do the big boy. When you're there, you got to do no, it. But it's the, nice, nice and open outside. You know, Jim. They asked about you. They said, "Where are you?" They just want me to put the pants back on. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who could fit that outfit. I lost my favorite pair of sunglasses at Bob's, which is the only knock against Bob's uh, I have. But, you know, I'm, that's well, okay. Okay. Now, uh, speaking of Thanksgiving, though, how did you and Katie spend Thanksgiving? Uh, we just hung out here and made made food. What about you guys? I tried my hand at baking. And okay. I made a blueberry pie for my mother. But I find this recipe online. And they mentioned when you make the blueberry filling, you have to put in cornstarch, you have to put in sugar, you have to put in lemon juice, and they have to give it a half hour to sort of settle because it gets really juicy. But I think the mistake I made is I was working with frozen blueberries and didn't give them time. So I drive all the way down to Massachusetts and I'm carrying the pie into the house. And as I'm walking into the house with the pie, I feel something wet on my shirt. So I look down, and it looks like I have been knifed. The pie has leaked all <laughs> over me. And it's what so I put it on the counter, and I immediately I start cleaning up the counter. And it's only then that I realize that, well, how long has this thing been leaking? And I turn around, and uh, seriously, Drew, there is a blood trail leading you know, from the kitchen up the hallway down the steps. And, and now, now I have to go outside and clean up all the evidence because otherwise, you know, all of my relatives are going to be arriving soon to the, you know, the scene of what is clearly a homicide. You know, and it's just like, who came in and killed Barbara? Oh, my God. So that's, I spent Thanksgiving afternoon on my hands and knees scrubbing blueberry blood stains out of you know like it's like the it's like the luminol when they light up no, a, a that's it, crime it's scene and it's it, blue you know it's just one of these things where it's like I, I kept thinking I should contact Karen and Georgia our favorite murder and see if they have any murder pie stories speaking of murder pies which makes me think of meat pies I actually got to see Sweeney Todd on Broadway with the original cast back in the summer of 79 but the guy who wrote that show Stephen Sondheim we lost him today at, at the age of 91, and and you were on duty today, so you had to deal with this story, right? Or? 
Yeah, it was very intense. I mean, it was just a lot of people uh, sharing their feelings and remembrances and everything like that. You know, I obviously had to put a Dick Tracy tweet out because he wrote the songs for that. Of course, yeah. But uh, yeah, it, it it's sad. I mean, he is a legend. I the only Sondheim I ever saw live was I saw Assassins at Studio Fifty Four. Are you kidding me? Oh. Yeah, and I think like maybe the early two thousands. I want to say wow. And it was Neil Patrick Harris. It was. I mean, it was it was a great great show. That's the thing with Sondheim. He would tackle all sorts of very strange material. In fact, think about it. You know, his first real big hit was Romeo and Juliet sort of seen through the filter of a gang war in New York City. I know this is a time of year when virtually every night you're headed out the door to a screening. Have, yes. have you seen West Side Story yet? I haven't seen it yet. I'm seeing it on Monday night, so I will report back wow. dutifully. I'm sure, yeah. Okay. Going all the way over to the Fox lot, oh, of course, okay. but in that in that great big... I don't know if you've ever seen a movie there, but in the big big theater there... Uh, they're holding it, I think, at the same time as it's premiering in London. Wow. So, yeah, it should be fun. Okay. Uh, okay. I'm looking forward to it, yeah. Like, I think one of the times we really bonded was the junket for Into the Woods. We were both in the press room, and you were like, you, fat man, watch my belongings. And it's like, <laughs> okay. I don't think I quite did that. I think I was... A- I don't remember Anna Kendrick being particularly nice at that junket. I will say that. I, um, yeah. That was my that was my re- remembrance of that junket. Okay. But yeah. yeah. There were a number of folks. But you were talking about another abandoned version of Into the Woods. Yes, yes. In fact, I got to go down in the basement and dig this out because this was going to be directed by Rob Reiner at Columbia, but it was going to be a co-production with Jim Henson production. And the Creature Shop was going to do... They were going to bring in all of the the characters that Sondheim hadn't done, like the Three Little Pigs. And this version was rewritten by Lowell Gantz and Bubaloo Mandel, the folks who who, who worked with uh, Billy Crystal on everything. Ron Howard's guys, too. There we go. There we go. Shows off to an interesting start here, folks. And the weird part of it is it is a short work work week out west, but still there was a lot of animation news. And speaking of news, the news portion of today's show, uh, today's fine-tuning, is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. For a worry-free travel experience, please book online at storybookdestinations.com. So if I were picking the big, big news of this week, other than, of course, the passing of Stephen Sondheim, it would have to be the, the Hayao Miyazaki news, wouldn't it? Well, this isn't news. This is not news that he is. You're talking about him working on another movie? Well, yeah. I mean, it had been rumored for years, but but now finally he's on the record. It's like, yes. There's, it, in fact, I, I, I love the quote from him about, why did you come out of retirement to make a new animated feature? And his response was, because I wanted to. Right. <laughs> this has been talked about, but nobody's ever confirmed that it was actually coming. Well, he doesn't do a lot of press. No, he, That's the other thing, he, right? He does not. He does not. But we know that it's based on his favorite book from childhood, a novel by Genzaburo Yoshino called How Do You Live, uh, published back in 37. And supposedly the novel follows a 15-year-old boy in Tokyo whose dad has recently died. I don't know how strict this adaption is going to be, but Studio Ghibli co-founder and producer Tohisho Suzuki describes this new film that Miyazaki is working on as fantasy on a grand scale, which 
not really surprised to hear Hayao Miyazaki's working at a fantasy on a grand scale. Did you see there was a very much reluctant to talk about anything beyond this little bit, but they they sort of off the record, off to the side said, might be out in theaters in 2023. Let's hope so. Yeah. <laughs> did you see that? Uh, did you pick up the uh, Future Boy Conan uh, box set? Yet, Jim, to see his very first directorial work. Oh, we have talked about that early in the show this year. Very much worth uh, seeking out to see if there's a Black Friday. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Speaking of stuff that will be released in uh, 2023, uh, Universal announced early this week that we're going to get a third installment of the DreamWorks franchise. Trolls 3 will be arriving in theaters November 17th of 2023. By the way, if you can't wait two years for more Trolls goodness, it's tonight, isn't it? Friday, November 26th, a brand new Trolls special is debuting on NBC. Trolls Holiday in Harmony, which features Drew's good, close, personal friend, Anna Kendrick. By the way, don't worry if you missed it on NBC. My understanding is Trolls Holiday in Harmony is will be showing up on Peacock very shortly. Well, did you notice that they said that the Trolls 3 release is exclusively in theaters? If we'll recall that Trolls World Tour was really the first hybrid release. It was. It was. Of the pandemic. Um, And now we're we're reaching Omicron status of the the pandemic. So God only knows how long this is going to go on. But um, I mean, seriously, you you saw the same thing today that I saw. What were the, the stock market lost? 900 points or, or damn near on the reaction yeah. to what this potentially means. And it's just <laughs> happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Encanto opened, I think, to less than half of what Ra- Ralph Breaks the Internet did in 2018. Yeah, I know. but So, yeah. <laughs> as you keep pointing out, with so few kids being vaccinated, getting them back into theaters is, is a challenge. And yeah. in fact, you know, the, the face it, one of the films that you and I... Loved in 2021, Mitchell's versus the Machine. It did finally get that teeny tiny itty bitty theatrical re- release, right? It was in theaters for a little. Yeah, this past weekend it was in theaters for two days, I believe. And we have the announcement of when the Blu-ray and the DVD is coming out. That's December 14th. I so enjoy the team behind this movie <laughs> just from the crazy tweeting about, oh my God, our, our, the Blu-ray's coming out. And it just, but the way that they were just enthusing over the top about three and a half hours of bonus content. We got a, a brand new short supposedly made by Katie, the, the girl filmmaker in it. We even get the Katie Mitchell Bonanza cut, which is 45 minutes of new footage, but these scenes get dropped into the film the film that, that, again, got streamed and then released to theaters in the places where the, it would have shown up in the movie. Yeah, it's not finished animation. I want people to know that. Yeah, I talked to Mike a little bit about this, and he says there's all these new transitions mm-hmm. and things, and it's going to be really, really cool. But don't expect 45 minutes of finished 3D animation. That's not happening. But you will get a little peek behind the scenes, you know? And I love that sort of stuff. Yeah. The day after Mitchell's versus Machines goes on sale, and again, that's December 14th, Ron's Gone Wrong debuts both on Disney Plus and HBO Max, again, December 15th. Explain why this is a big deal. Basically, the first home entertainment window was supposed to go to HBO. Mm-hmm. This is why things like New Mutants had a very limp theatrical release, mm-hmm. because they had to go 
it had to go to HBO first. But mm-hmm. what this this new arrangement does is it frees up things that maybe potentially don't have as much prospects as a theatrical release to be released on HBO and Disney Plus at the same time. Mm-hmm. So I would argue that something like Antlers probably would have made sense for this mm-hmm. to go on Hulu and HBO Max. But I think that they are just writing out the rest of the contract for 2022. Mm-hmm. And so you'll see you'll see more of this stuff happening, is my guess, in the, in the, the months to come. But what's interesting is, like, Prey, the new Predator movie, mm-hmm. is going to be on HBO Max the same day it's on Hulu. Direct to Hulu. So that's really interesting, too. Wow. Yeah. Oh, uh, well, uh, HBO Max, which is Warner's, uh, makes me think of the League of Super Pets trailer that dropped earlier this week. What'd you think? I thought it looked cute. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I'm a big dog guy. Yep. I love, uh, <laughs> I love dog humor. Mm-hmm. And obviously the animation is by uh, our friends at Animal Logic mm-hmm. in Australia, and uh, they always do great work. So I'm excited to see that movie finished. And I want to know who Keanu is playing. Yeah. Damn it. I, I, I have to admit, I was kind of intrigued by that as well. And again, we're recording this the Thanksgiving weekend, and Drew, you were mentioning that you were th- thankful that after all of these years— we're actually finally going to get a Gorillaz movie. Yeah, Damon Albarn was uh, interviewed, I think, by Apple Music or something mm-hmm. for his new album, and he kind of casually let it slip that Netflix is making a Gorillaz movie, and he said before that they're aiming for, like, you know, Miyazaki-level animation, and they were going to do a writer's retreat in Malibu this week, so it seems like it's finally happening. I mean, I was saying to you beforehand mm-hmm. that... Spielberg courted them, I think, after the first record uh, came out to do something. So this has been a really long time coming. And I I mean, obviously, it's just absolutely perfect for a big animated musical. Absolutely. I mean, and Alice turned me on to the videos years ago. They've always been amazing. There's such great character work right from the Mm get-go. So it's yep. like, you know, no, I mean, it, this set of characters coupled with the great music without even breaking their stride could do a feature. Yeah. I cannot wait to see this. Yeah, it's going to be amazing. I think it's something we've all wanted since those early, early videos. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, my God, make this make this a movie. And it's finally happening. There we go. And, and what am I thankful for? Well, I'll reveal that on the second half of today's show. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Before we get to the feature, a couple of things. We've talked about Rumble, the kaiju wrestling film. We've talked endlessly about Rumble, <laughs> yes. 
Okay. I'm sorry. I like Godzilla movies. I'm it's it's my weakness. All right. So this was kind of on my radar. So I was looking forward to seeing this in a theater in February of 2022, which is now no longer the plan, right? Yes, it is coming December 15th, mm-hmm. Jim. So you can watch that. You can watch Ron's Gone Wrong, and then you can watch Rumble back-to-back. But it'll be a Paramount Plus exclusive, no theatrical release whatsoever. And I just wanted to note that this is a co-production of Real FX, who have done everything from Scoop mm-hmm. to The Book of Life and WWE films. I believe some of the wrestlers are in the movie. And yeah, it looks cute enough. I, I'm i not particularly dazzled by the trailer, but... Mm. I can't. I would. I would love to be proven wrong. How about that, Jim? Same thing here. And I have to admit, I was only with the, the most recent press release. I realized this is based on a graphic novel by uh, Rob Harrell, uh, "Monster on a Hill." Yes, first announced way back in 2015, Jim. So, well, okay, I get this is uh, you know. <laughs> this is the culmination of a lot. So, <laughs> there we yeah, go. okay. Well, press release came in for this, and and we actually got a listener question. This week as well. In fact, came in just this afternoon from Steve Senkowski of Toledo, Ohio, who asked if Drew or Jim knows of any truth to the story, which I thought I heard once, that Disney Studios loaned out one of its best special effects animators, I don't know who this would be, to the 1956 version of Cecil B. DeMille's The Ten Commandments for the obviously animated Pillar of Fire and the Finger of God thing and they don't show it on thanksgiving but they do show it on easter have you you you've seen the the 1956 version of cecil peter mills 10 commandments right i'm sure i have uh but i'm sure i also blocked it out because it was so boring but you know you t- you, you tell me Jim. no you're are you, are you, you watch this once a year <laughs> it's the part of me that slows down for car accidents because you're right there's a lot of it that really has not held up well but the pillar of fire effect and the finger of god thing were definitely uh, done using hand-drawn animation by somebody who's a, a master of effects animation but who did this for that paramount film to answer that we have to pivot to another visual effects film uh, that was released to theaters also in 1956. In fact, March 15th of that same year. And that was Forbidden Planet, the big MGM attempt at making a sci-fi film. The big bad in Forbidden Planet is the id monster. It's this entirely invisible creature that can only be seen as it pushes through electrical force fields or when spacemen fire at it with laser blasters. And in order to pull off this effect, it was going to require an animation massey. So Dory Sherry, uh, who was the then head of MGM, reaches out to Walt Disney and asks to borrow Disney's top visual effects guy, Joshua Meter. This is the guy who did all of the overflowing water for Sorcerer's Apprentice scenes in Fantasia. Likewise, he did the Hellfire for the Night on Bald Mountain stuff. And he had just finished working on Disney's first live-action sci-fi thing, uh, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, released to theater in December of 54, when Walt agrees to lend him out to Forbidden Planet. And this is back in the 50s when Hollywood was really a small town, and word gets to Cecil B. DeMille that Walt has agreed to loan out to MGM Joshua Meter to work on the Sid Monster. And he knows from having actually directed an earlier version 
of Ten Commandments, one that was released to theaters, a silent version in 1923. He knows how impossible it is to do the burning bush and the, the finger of God thing. So Cecil picks up the phone and calls Walt directly and basically says, in essence, you're going to help MGM, but not me. Come on, fair's fair. And so you know, Walt has to go to Josh and say, oh, by the way, after you finish with the Ed Monster, I need you to go to Paramount. They need you on their Ten Commandments remake. So Josh ends up away from Disney for the better part of a year, does these two outside projects. And after that, Walt refuses to let him go off, the, leave the lot. He puts him to work on all of Maleficent's dark magic for Sleeping Beauty, which is released to theaters in January 59. And when he's not working on that, he's working all the, on all the effects work for Darby O'Gill and the Little People, which was released in June of that same year. Anyway, we, we lose Mr. Meter, who was a gifted painter. He left behind more than 2,000 impressionistic landscapes and seascapes. He dies of a heart attack at his home in August of 65. And what's interesting is that for decades, his involvement in crafting the visual effects of the burning bush and the Finger of God sequence for Paramount's 56 remake of, of Ten Commandments remained a secret. It wasn't until Rick Law who's been with the Walt Disney Company since 93. He's a very talented guy who championed that wonderful documentary, Floyd Norman and Animated Life, not to mentioning helping the Walt Disney Family Museum with this recent exhibit, uh, Awakening Beauty, the Art of Ivan Earl. But he uncovered Josh's involvement in the visual effects aspect of, of Ten Commandments. In fact, he tweeted about it as recently as April of last year. So... Thanks to Stephen S. for sending along that question. And earlier this year, we also lost Edward Asner. Uh, he died in August. By the way, he was 91, just the same age as, as Sondheim. And he had just done Doug Days for Disney+. Plus. In fact, he recorded that during the pandemic. And I, I think both you and I were fans of, of, you know, that sort of continuance of Upward We Drew, or... Oh, I loved it. Yeah. What a, and what a, what an unexpectedly moving tribute to him. And I think the last thing he did was the Muppet Haunted Mansion, right? Well, yeah. No, yeah that, that, it's interesting you mentioned that. If you go over to IMDb, you know, uh, he was working right up until the end. He's got five movies that have yet to come out and two TV projects, and... The reason I know this is I recently talked with his son, Matt, and his wife, Neva, who are, are about to do a fundraiser for the Ed Asner Family uh, Association, which is this you know, organization that it dedicates its efforts to helping families with children with autism. And they're about to do something, a, a fundraiser with a neat tie to the holiday season. Well, I'll tell you what, I'll let them explain. We're here today with Matthew Asner, president and CEO of the Ed Asner Family Center, along with his lovely wife, Nava Paskowitz-Asner, uh, who is the co-head of this terrific organization, which is based out of Reseda, California, which is dedicated to promoting mental health and enrichment programs for special needs children and their families. And the reason we're all chatting here today is that on Sunday, December 5th, the Ed Asner Family Center will be partnering with Turner Classic Movies to present a one-night-only Zoom table read of that holiday classic, It's a Wonderful Life. 
the Frank Capra film that was first released to theaters back in December of uh, 1946. This holiday season marks the 85th anniversary of its Wonderful Lives theatrical release. For a minimum donation of just $25, you can watch as an extraordinary collection of performers. We're talking about people like uh, Martin Sheen, Ed Harris, Kathy Bates, Mandy Patinkin, Mark Hamill, Rosaria Darson, Ted Lasso himself uh, mm -hmm. brings this holiday classic to life. Now, this is the second year the Ed Asner Center has done this, right? The, the last year you had an entirely different set of performers do a table read of its wonderful life. We did. It sounds like uh, it sounds like I'm going to tell you there was a dare involved somehow. <laughs> but no, yeah, we we did it last year and. Uh, and, you know, I think the idea was that we really wanted to create something that was that had some tradition in it, mm -hmm. that that had people that people could look at and say, ah, oh, you know, I, I really enjoyed that. I really would. You know, they look forward to something like It's a Wonderful Life every year. I mean, I certainly do. Mm -hmm. My father and I used to watch that film, you know, every every holiday. And I asked my wife to marry me during that film oh, because wow. it was that kind of film. Um, and we wanted to create something with a little tradition that mm -hmm. people can turn back to every year. And since we're still in this pandemic, mm -hmm. you know, we wanted to create that tradition in this way. So now a little continuity from last year, you, you brought back Tom Bergeron as the host. Which role did your dad perform at last year's table read? Last year he was, uh, he was Mr. Potter. Oh, he <laughs> A part he was built to play. Oh, he would have been killer. Oh, if you don't mind me asking, what prompted him to lend his name to the to the Ed Asner Family Center? Well, I think um, he was very supportive of our family. Uh, Matt and I have three autistic sons mm -hmm. together, um, and Ed has a lifelong uh, support and kind of a pillar of the autism community. So both Matt and I were working for other autism organizations, and um, we really felt like there was something missing in the community. And so, you know, it, it made such sense to us, and we wanted so much to be able to prolong Ed's legacy for years to come. And now it's even we're even more fueled by his uh, passing to really honor him and continue um, supporting this this underserved community. By the way, Nava, the Tom kind of clued me in that you're a, a member of, of a Hawaiian surfing royalty. Did I get that right? Or in a way, in a way, my father actually was um, he was one of the first uh, surfers in Hawaii. He's actually one of the only uh, and oldest Jewish surfer, and he actually started the sport of oh. uh, surfing in Israel years ago. But my family created the first surf instruction camp in. Uh, in the 70s so yeah i definitely have sir have surfing in my blood polar opposite of my husband <laughs> no but I, I, no I, I, I try to surf yeah i try to drown you a couple no, times there we go well uh, no i love that we get to honor both dads in, yeah, in this interview absolutely. okay well uh, all right getting back to, to ed asner now now uh, matt your dad had a long and varied career in hollywood in fact i i wonder what it was like to have him as your father back in the 60s when when he played a lot of heavies, when, you know, face it, you know, he was on the untouchables of the future as the bad guy of the week. What, what was it like to go to school and, hey, I saw your dad last night? Well, I don't actually remember people saying that uh, when I in the 60s. But I, I tell you, you know, I was I did watch, you know, whatever he did, because my parents were really, you know, thought that was an important part of, you know, me understanding what daddy did. Mm -hmm. um, so. Um, 
the interesting thing about that is in the 60s especially, mm-hmm. he played heavies and he played these guys that would invariably end up dying in some horrible way. Shot, stabbed, you know, whatever. And and so it was it was an interesting thing as a child to see that happen to your father night after night. Um, and I remember there was one time there was one time that we were watching the Mod Squad, mm-hmm. and uh, I was in the den with my parents watching, and my sister was in some other room. I don't know why, but she was in some other room, and he stabbed in the in the show. He doesn't die, but he's stabbed in the show, and I I remember you could hear the wail from across the house of emotion when it happened. So, you know, it was great when he got married to Tyler Moore show because it was all of a sudden, you know, he, you could see him live every week. <laughs> oh, that, that's a great story. Well, speaking of which, though, that, that run that began with the Mary Tyler Moore show, and, and I think a lot of people forget that what was great about um, Lou Grant was that, you know, at the end of what was the seven-year run of the Mary Tyler Moore show where your dad picked up four Emmys of her Best Supporting Actor. He then, they did the spinoff where the Lou Grant character moves to LA and, and is the managing editor of a newspaper out there. He, he picks up two additional Emmys for playing basically the same role, but as a dramatic part. And it, I mean, it really showed his range. No, I mean, I, he's the only actor to do that. I think uh, there was an actor, um, and I I think from Orange, Orange is the New Black, who, mm-hmm. who repeated mm-hmm. winning winning for the same role in both comedy and drama. Mm-hmm. But, but he was the first uh, to do it. Uh, and I have a prediction. You want to hear my prediction? Certainly. I think the next actor to do it mm-hmm. is going to be our George Bailey, Ted Lasso himself. Oh. Jason Sudeikis. I think for sure he's going to win. He won uh, for best comedy, mm-hmm. but I think they'll probably the show. If you can see, if you look at the show, it's changing. Mm-hmm. Ted, you know, Ted Lasso is changing, becoming more of a drama. Mm-hmm. So I think you'll see him mm-hmm. win as a dramatic actor as well. well that, would, that would be interesting if that prediction came true. But uh, speaking of, of your dad in in the mid seventies, they're about. It's about the same time that your dad appears in the Gathering, which is his first holiday based project, and. That one's always fascinating me because it, it, I mean, so it's a wonderful uh, holiday, you know, sort of a family drama. Uh, but it was produced by Hanna Barbera, the animation studio. Wow. Had your da- dad appearing alongside Maureen Stapleton and got recognition by the Television Academy. It won that year's Emmy for outstanding special comedy or drama. And and after that, your dad kind of you know made christmas related projects a a kind of a cottage industry i mean as far back as 86 he's got the christmas star and then 96 he does the story of santa claus 99 he's got all of the other reindeer then in 2002 he you know he's the man who saves christmas exposes his silly side with the national lampoon's christmas vacation too then we've got 2006 a christmas card uh, you know 2012's home alone the holiday heist uh, 2013 Christmas on the Bayou, and then <laughs> recently is 2017. We got uh, the Storybots Christmas. So was I mean, you mentioned earlier that you know you and your dad would actually sit around you know each holiday season watching It's a Wonderful Life. But was was Christmas a big deal at the Asner House? I you forgot about Elf. Well, actually, I, no. I'll say this: you, you, there are a lot of films that you've forgotten about. Yeah. But I, I'm impressed but with Elf. I'm impressed with your your line of. Uh, uh, of holiday appearances, mm-hmm. um, and, and and I will say that that 
he loved Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, he loved the, the family part of Christmas. Mm-hmm. And he loved the color of Christmas. And he loved the fact that my mom loved Christmas. Um, but I, I'm, I think he was a Jew at heart mm-hmm. who loved Christmas. And, and the ironic thing is, is um, I think they have him playing Santa Claus. I think the, the official number, what I've seen on the Internet, is 10 times he's played Santa Claus. But I'm willing to bet it's closer to 20. I would bet you you're correct because this yeah, is strictly his in TV movies and he did individual yeah. episodes. But but now is correct. You can't overlook Elf because yeah. for a lot of people, your dad, because of that film, is the definitive movie Santa. I love his world where he seen it all take on Chris Kringle. I mean, you know, well, you never know, kid. It, it's such a wonderful performance. But I, I think what a lot of people don't realize is your dad actually reprise that role and do you remember the stop motion holiday special uh the the elf the buddies musical christmas 2014 and the reason i love that is your dad sings in that now how often does your dad sing i have to watch that again i saw when i first i saw when it first came out i think it was on cbs i think there we go yeah Mm -hmm. Uh, and uh so i have to watch it again i i don't i don't remember too much from that mm-hmm. but does my dad sing my dad did sing mm-hmm. um not often mm-hmm. but he uh he definitely sings and he well, was he came from the theater so. he came from the theater he was a big part that was uh you know he, he was always looking for a, an excuse to sing we're about to enter that time of year where you know this movie is on every five minutes and yeah. you know and i gotta tell you whenever i'm, I'm channel serving and i come across it i love will ferrell but i hang in there for your dad i love his take on santa and I, how did he feel about what happened with that movie i think uh you know that film and uh and up i think both of those films caught him by surprise i think he didn't expect he didn't expect the adoration and and the attention that he got from either of those films. And it was wonderful um, as a loving son to see him have the success he had with those. Because I, I was so, I was a protective soul over him. And I saw, you know, during the late 80s and early 90s, he had a lot of falters and, and stumbles and he never stopped. He never, never let up. And to have success at his age, after so much experience, I'll say, um, that, that's a special thing. No, 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 absolutely. It was, it was wonderful to see that. Well, now, now speaking of which, what's kind of cool about your dad's work in 2009's Up, which we, by the way, we should acknowledge, won that year's, you know, Best Animated Feature Academy Award. But we had your dad just in the, the past couple of months. He, he reprised Carl Fredrickson as a, a part of a new set of shorts, the Doug Days over at Disney+. Plus. And what's also important to remember is your dad was doing voice work for animation for years. I mean, the first credit that I could find, it goes all the way back to 86 for uh, a thing called Pinocchio and the Emperor of the Night. And I, how did your dad feel about w- doing work for animation? How did he think it compared challenge-wise? And, I mean, it, it's one thing to be in front of a camera. It's quite another to stand in front of a mic and have to deliver a full performance there for like Superman, the animated series, or, or Freakazoid. Well, it's interesting because, you know, you say 1987 is the first credit you see mm-hmm. of his uh, in animation. And it's interesting because... Uh, he had a great voice. Mm-hmm. He had a very distinctive voice. Absolutely. 
And I'm surprised that it took that long for people to kind of say, hey, let's have Ed Asner come in and read. Mm-hmm. Because, a, you know, a guy like Ted Knight, he was Mr. Animation in the 60s hey, and 70s. Oh, God, you're right. You're right. Yeah. And, it, uh, and so it's interesting to me that, that he'd never done that before. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, he did a ton of animation, and he loved animation. Uh, that was a, it became a, a safe haven for him to be able to kind of sit and, uh, or stand and give a character life. He enjoyed it immensely. Well, it just, I, I got to tell you, you know, when we lost your dad three months ago, the, the hue and cry from the Gargoyle fans who, you know, loved yeah. his work for years as Hudson. They were so sad. That, but speaking of which, again, your dad's been gone for three months. But if, again, if we go over to IMDb, his career in film and movies continues. I mean, for example, he's got five films that have yet to be released, including one more holiday project, uh, Fargo Christmas, plus two more TV projects. And that's an incredible work ethic for a guy in his late 80s, early 90s. What, what kept him going? Well, there's a, a little slot in his back that an Energizer uh, battery goes in. No, I'm kidding. I, no, I, I, I mean, he, he, um, he always felt like he had to work. He always felt like he needed to. He needed to do it to survive, not not just financially, but, mm-hmm. but um, you know, he needed it because he needed the he needed the push. Mm-hmm. He needed he needed he needed that, you know, that uh, that movement in his mm-hmm. life, and. Uh, and the pandemic was hard for him because yeah i was just going to say that 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 was like hard hard on so many older people but i think that he was such an independent guy mm-hmm. and he was so used to traveling everywhere and being so um you know just constantly working that i think that was the hardest thing for yeah. him emotionally was having to to reel back a little bit but he didn't he never stopped working no he worked through the pandemic i mean just weeks before he passed he was still working wow and but it's also important to note here that in addition to his work in front of the camera behind the mic your dad he served two terms as the president of the screen actors guild was incredibly political active very vocal when it came to his support to all sorts of causes i mean holocaust survivors people afflicted with aids wildlife organizations and of course you know kids with autism and 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 in fact um i got to talk with michael moore about you know you know back at the very start of his career and you know he was trying to get money together to make his 1989 documentary roger and me and so he sent out you know, letters to all of these Hollywood bigwigs asking for money to help make his documentary. And only your dad responded, <laughs> you know, and he was the only, he sent Michael $500 to help make his movie. And so, you know, only one guy out of Hollywood, you know, you know, and, and that, that thing, you know, to do that example of being so generous with his time and his talent, it must be hard to live up to. I mean, is that your goal now with the, you know, continuing on with the Edward Asner you know, Family Center, keeping your dad's tradition of, of generosity and community involvement alive? Well, that's certainly the main reason, you know, his name is, is on it, because he has a legacy of giving, and mm-hmm. and uh, especially to the community that we serve. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I'll say that, uh, you know, that Michael Moore story, it's true. It's an absolutely true story. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, uh, you know, it's not... Um, it's original to Michael Moore, mm-hmm. uh, but it's not. I would I say it's not original to Ed no, Asner. Ed Asner, not. Ed Asner, you know, regularly, you know, did that for people, and um, you know, it, it's 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 actually a wonderful thing. 
when you think about it. No, absolutely. And speaking of a wonderful thing, let's get back to talking about yes. this this table read of Frank Capra's A Wonderful Life. Now, who came up with this idea? I mean, don't get me wrong. For people of our age, you know, when when uh, back when uh, It's a Wonderful Life was in public domain and the holiday season <laughs> was kind of like Elf. It, it ran every five minutes and we, we all kind of, you know, fell in love with the film. But what made you guys decide to we should revisit this, but, you know, but we should bring in, you know, a, a top talent to do it. Well, it's interesting you bring up the public domain, uh, you know, thing, because mm -hmm. I, I, when we started working on this last year, mm -hmm. I, I, you know, I was kind of flying blind in that, in that world. I knew, you know, usually you have to get rights. And, mm -hmm. and, and um, so we, 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 you know, we actually were introduced to the Philip Van Doren Stern family who actually wrote the original story Philip uh, called the greatest gift, mm -hmm. um, and they control the rights to "It's a Wonderful Life," um, and uh, they're a wonderful family. They were very gracious in giving us the rights to do it, um, and uh, and I'll forever be grateful for them to doing that. Um, and I would say that the, the idea of this came really at, we were we um, you know we we're a nonprofit organization. Our our programs are funded through donations that people give us. Um, and the pandemic hit us hard. We're an events-driven fundra fundraiser. We, so we use events to fundraise. And you know, we looked at the pandemic and said, well, we, we, we got do? a problem now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, our, our, main, our main fundraiser was a gala. Mm -hmm. And we decided, well, why don't we do a table read instead of doing a gala? And, uh, and you know, we'll honor someone. We honored the wonderful Jeff Frost from Sony. Mm -hmm. And uh, and and uh, that's how it was born, a table read. That's what we'll do. Uh, yeah. I got to tell you, half the fun, I mean, one of the reasons I'm so looking forward to, to this year is just who you got to play which roles. I mean, mm -hmm. Rosaria Dar Dawson is Mary Bailey or, or Kathy Bates is Ma Bailey. I mean, you know, but I, I would imagine just reaching out, you know, you know, to, to, to get people to pl play the, you know, these, all these, you know, Uncle Billy, you know, roles like that must've been both a joy and, and, and a, a little challenging, right? Yeah. I mean, yes, that, that's actually a great description of what it was. Um, you know, um, it's, it's a great, wonderful adventure that you go down. Um, last year, you know, we, we did an un, an, uh, like a, an unkosher yeah. choice for, for okay. George Bailey uh, mm. that people were, were like, wow. Very unsure of in the beginning, but uh, he um, really... In he Pete really, Davidson. He really uh, proved himself. No, he was I mean, great. We, he we was didn't great. know when we asked him that it happened to be his father who had died in the 9-11 towers. Yeah. Hit their special thing that they did every year together oh. so he knew that movie front back and sideways yeah very and special he film was for him so happy to do it and, and I, I i'm sure jason has a similar story i mean not the 9-11 part yeah thank God, but but um but i think uh i'm going to give my wife all the credit actually for for both pete davidson and jason sudeikis mm -hmm. because we we uh she had the idea of going to Pete, and I was like, "No, I don't. I don't think he, yeah. uh, there's no way he's going to no, do it." I mean, and she goes, well, "No, no, he's try it." So we tried him, and he's unconventional. He said yes, and I felt like because we went in for an unconventional young guy, that we really needed to give the diehard fans back, you know, America's sweetheart, which is Ted Lasso. 
And we we were watching. I mean, we're huge fans of Ted yeah. Lasso. Huge. I, I just think it's it's just such a special special show. Um, and and so we're big Jason fans. And and so you know, she said, well, "Why not Jason Sudeikis?" And and I said, same similar kind of a situation. Oh, really? I don't think we'll he's never do it. <laughs> and then I kind of started reading <laughs> about Jason. And that Jason. was before his Emmy, I yeah. think. But I started reading about Jason, and I and there were too many similarities here, that that you know I I couldn't not do it. So Jason's from Kansas City. My dad's from Kansas City. Jason left Kansas City when when he finished high school, went to Chicago. My dad left Kansas City, went to Chicago. They both started acting in Chicago. They both acted in Second City. Wow. Uh, and they both moved to Los Angeles. They both, I mean, I think he lives in New York, actually. So that, mm-hmm. they both moved to New York. <laughs> <laughs> they both won Emmys in their, in their shows. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, there's so much there that, that is, that is, you know, it's too much of a coincidence. So I, I you know, sent a letter to them and, and they said yes. Uh, the, the, you know, the other parts, we just chose people. The honest, uh, the, on, the honest truth here is that we chose people that had some sort of connection to my father, mm-hmm. be it uh, as an actor in a, in a, in a, in a, in a part that, that was done before, or a friendship, or uh, just being a huge fan of, of that person. So um, that's the way we kind of went through the roles and decided to do it this year. Wow. Well, no, it is an absolutely stellar cast. And I just, I cannot wait, uh, you know, for December 5th to get here, which again is when the Edward Hasner Family Center is, will be partnering with Turner Classic Music, uh, excuse me, Turner Classic Movies to present a one night only Zoom table reading of that holiday classic, It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, now, for further information, please head on over to the edasnerfamilycenter.org where you can find out how to sign up for this terrific holiday event. And again, for just $25 minimum payment, you can get all this entertainment. And anyway, I just want to thank Matt Asner, the president and CEO of the Ed Asner Family Center, as well as his lovely wife, Nava Pasquit Asner, uh, who is the co-head of this organization, which again is dedicated to promoting mental health and enrichment programs through special needs children and their families. So uh, thanks for making the time again to talk. Uh, you know, uh, look Thank you very for having no, no, no. Glad to have it. It's always, you know, a good thing to support good causes. And this sounds like a terrific cause. Thank, Thank you, you so much, Jim. Just a reminder, this table read version of Frank Capra's It's a Wonderful Life. It's on December 5th. And for just a $25 minimum uh, donation, you get to hear all of these amazing actors perform the script for that, that wonderful film from 1946. And great way to sort of usher in the holiday season. So, all right, we've already established you're headed out to see West Side Story uh, this coming Monday. <laughs> yes. What else is is looming up for you to pay attention to in the coming week? Well, you know, I have Nightmare Alley on Wednesday, I believe, which is the new Guillermo del Toro version of the Tyrone Power classic from 47, Ooh, I want to say. Wow. And then... You know, I'm back in blockbuster mode for a little bit, Jim. There's mm. a couple of big movies coming out. Mm. This little, uh, you know, friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. I'm doing that. And mm. then um, The Matrix. So, you know, it's a it's a nice mixture of art and commerce. Okay. So, you know. Well. But this weekend, I am just going to lay down for a couple of days. We I did my booster and my flu shot all at once. Oh. So, it's, uh, yeah, 
It's a con- it's a powerful cocktail. <laughs> that that, for, that yeah. it is. I I got my booster early this week, and it was, and I hope to regain use of that arm soon. Yes. It's a, yeah. It's a interesting shot. Yeah, my poor wife, who you know is a very mm. a little girl, uh, she had a giant bruise on her arm from the shot, and I felt mm. so bad. But you know, mm. chunky boys like us, Jim, it's just nothing. They, we just keep on going. <laughs> when they stand at the other side of the room with a harpoon, and okay, Mister Hill, we're coming in. So, are we going to be doing any work over this weekend in regard to light diffuse? Or oh, of course, Jim. Every I mean, I don't know if you saw these photos of uh, Tom Cruise hanging upside down on a biplane. But uh, yeah, I mean he's back at he's back at it. We've got to we've got to dissect every moment. But we're continuing our big you know um, Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol retrospective. Mm-hmm. So anybody who's a fan of that Brad Bird film, now is a good time to jump into Light the Fuse because we've got a lot of great details and a lot of stories nobody's ever heard before. So come on over. Uh, can you can you tell folks about uh, where they can find you, Drew? Sure, it is uh, Drew Taylor. Uh, like a tailored shirt on Twitter and Instagram. Okay. So, yeah. All right. And Nancy would like me to remind you that you can find us on Twitter and Instagram as Jim Hill Media and over on Facebook as Jim Hill Media News. Thanks for listening, folks. And Drew and I will be back with a new episode of Fine Tuning this time next week. So, Hill then, take care.